am so excited to have you here. Um, so I guess the best way to start out, if I were to just kind of sum you up, which I know is a dangerous thing to do to anybody, but if I were to like, <laughs> if somebody said, well, well, who is Matt? What's he about? So, well, I would say that you are an expert in leadership, education, manhood, self-reliance, and also you're, I would say that you're a, an educational disruptor. I, I think that's probably a, a pretty good description. So that's what I know of you. But what I want this audience to get is your perspective on kind of your journey, the path you've traveled. We have so many things that, that brother, this is going to be like iron sharpening iron. Just we're so aligned. And so, but you're the expert you've gone before me. So I look at this as kind of like a, yes, it's a podcast an interview. I want my audience to know about you. I want to know about all the things you're doing, but also for me, I want you to treat this as like a mini mentoring session. I mean, I, I, and I mean, I say that humbly and I, I say that as a, as an act of humility, because I'm so admiring of the work that you're doing. That's just kind of where I'm coming from on this. So with that, how'd you get where you are, brother? Super grateful, man, truly. And uh, you know, the, the best thing I can say is I hope people just leave with more questions and answers, you know, and that's really what, what I want it to be. Right. I want I want people to leave with, uh, uh, a flame that's stoked for their, their curiosity. Um, and maybe a little bit less fear, uh, as well, right? Like if we can do that, we're good. So, um, as far as getting, you know, getting where I am, I always tell people it started, um, with figuring out that I was good at seeing patterns at four, at four years old. Um, because where I am has everything to do with the few things that I'm good at, um, and everything to do with the many things that I'm horrible at. Um, but seeing patterns was always one that I was good at. And so I figured out the game of school really, really quickly. That was one of the patterns that I figured out. And um, like many others, I thought, okay, figure out the game of school and life ends up working out well. And, and it wasn't long before I figured out that uh, I can do well in school, but it doesn't mean you do well in life. Those are not the same games. Um, and so it wasn't until uh, I graduated out of college, turned down a job at the, at the White House, um, and realized I had gotten straight A's, you know, since I was four years old, but had no idea who I was, no idea what I had to offer the world, no idea what my gifts were, no idea what I was really, really excited about other than sports and girls at the time, right? As a young 20 something year old guy. Um, so I had to figure it all out at that point. And then the process of just working some odd jobs, I quote unquote, started to figure out before I even figured out myself, I started to figure out wait, other people are playing these games too. There's actually a lot of games going on here. You know, I worked these odd jobs, ultimately landed at Stanford University. Um, and I saw the games being played. I saw young people who were, again, really, really smart academically, but they were struggling in every other area of their life. I saw the game of admissions and realized, wait, this isn't the meritocracy that people said it was. Um, and then I started, you know, naively trying to fix things from the inside out. Uh, and saw games being played at other levels, saw games being played as a public school teacher, as a public school administrator, as a private school teacher, as a private school administrator. And um, all those things ultimately led to me coming on this journey of self-awareness uh, and getting to this crossroads where the self-awareness met the understanding of all the games. And I also had children and went, okay, well, they're not going anywhere from an educational standpoint that I didn't build. Um, so I guess I better figure out how to build something, you know, and that's where it all really started. So built a bunch of schools, um, continuing to build schools, partnered with my friend, Tim Kennedy to start building out, you know, mentorship programs for, for men and young men around the world. 
and we're launching another 100 schools in 2024. So that's a whole lot in a short amount of time. Um, but I'm glad to go anywhere and everywhere within that journey. Yeah. So I think, I don't think this audience needs uh, a big, uh, kind of like, well, so what, what, what's wrong with the, the educational yeah. system as yeah. it exists. And yeah. one of the things I do, I, I like that you've said, I've, I've watched you in a number of interviews and you make a you make a very strong point of saying it's not all educators, it's the system. Mm-hmm. And here's one of the things is I was listening to one of your Ted talks that occurred to me. So we know post-industrial education was essentially created to make, to educate people to go into a factory, right? Mm -hmm. And you correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, but it's essentially, you know, to basically create cogs for the big wheels that were out there to be productive and, and and what was going on. And now at a time when 70% of all jobs are created by small business, we've got more opportunities for entrepreneurship than ever. There's never been a greater freelance workforce than the history, in the history of mankind. But yet our education system is still stuck in, well, I want your take on this. I see that the system is still structured, masking almost as a post-industrial, get the cogs ready for the wheel that we'll plug them into. But also I see it placing such an emphasis on social uh, you know, things, that, you know, things that don't have nothing to do with preparing a young person to go out and create and lead and organize. So as you set out to create your version of a, of a 21st century educational system, what were some of the things that you started immediately saying, okay, I'm going to whiteboard this, and this is what our schools will look like. This is what we will teach. This is how we will, we will, we will execute on this yeah. plan. What, what were some of those things? That's a great question, man, because what, what we have to understand is, and the way I, I like to frame it for people is, is thinking, about, thinking about it in terms of aims, right? So if um, there, there's nobody in their right mind that would think, okay, if I want my young child to be a phenomenal basketball player, then what I need to do is really make sure they spend, you know, 12, 16 years never touching a basketball, but uh, we want them playing soccer all day, every day. Play soccer all day, every day because it's a game, because you have other people there, because you have a ball. And now all of a sudden, for 16 years playing soccer, they're a really good basketball player. If somebody said that, you'd be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why didn't they spend the 16 <laughs> years playing basketball? Right. right. Well, that's what we're doing here from that conveyor belt schooling standpoint is we're playing one game called conveyor belt school. And then at the end, we're saying, okay, great. Here's the game of life. And people are going, well, wait, these aren't the same. Like, this isn't the same thing. These aren't the same necessary skills. This isn't the same. Like, so that's where the disconnect is. So what we try to do is take that perspective and go, okay, well, what are the skills, kind of the meta skills that we need? What are the things that human beings actually need in order to thrive in this game of life? And that's not just what is the knowledge that we need, it's what are the skills that we need? And we have to acknowledge therein that that skill set will, not might, will continuously change in some regard. The reality is you and I are talking on a platform right now that didn't exist five years ago. Yeah. It did. We've got it. I got this cell phone right here, right? There's a beautiful woman that's coming in the picture. <laughs> right there. That's my, that's my wife right there. So we, we got that cell phone. Dude, 10 years from now, that thing is as good as a pager. Mm-hmm. It's going to be useless. 
So not only does learning now at this point mean I can I have been able to learn how to run many of my businesses from this phone right here. I also have to realize that 10 years from now, that phone's no longer going to be relevant and I've got to be willing to unlearn. So there's an element of adaptation. I have to know where to go find the information when that information is new and relevant. I got to know how to go access it. I've got to know how to either utilize it or find somebody else I can partner with that knows how to utilize that. And I got to create a network and we've got to collaborate around a joint mission for a joint purpose. And then we have to be willing to unlearn and untrain the habits that we have that no longer are relevant, right? So we start talking about those kind of meta skills and going, okay, how do we build out solutions around this? There's a lot of collaboration involved. There's a lot of the ability to think that's involved. There's some self-awareness that's in there. Self-awareness just comes through trying a lot of different things. So we've got to make sure there's variety. Got to have self-confidence. Self-confidence comes through actually doing hard things and showing ourselves to be resilient, having this undeniable stack of proof behind us that we are who we say we are. So we have to scaffold in these experiences for self-awareness and self-confidence. A lot of buzz around mental health. Well, really mental health is linked to physical health, especially for young people. It's the precursor for it. So we've got to take a look and go, okay, how do we integrate physical health and the actual knowledge of, of how can you be physically healthy? What does that mean from a food standpoint, you know, like the nutritional standpoint, from the exercise standpoint, from the relationship standpoint, from emotional regulation to breathing to, you know, any of the products we're using, the things we're exposing ourselves to or choosing to not expose ourselves to. We're looking at all of these things from a high level and going, okay, how do we structure a day around that and make it fun? Because we've got so many other distractions that young people would rather take on right now. So how do we make that fun? And how do we get the families on board? How do we take it from a holistic standpoint? When we say educate the whole child, right? And lifelong learning, we like to say the cliches. I'll tell you what, I've got a young person on my campus until 3 p.m. That's great. They go home to who? Mm -hmm. they go home to the parents. So if I'm educating the whole child, well, a big part of that education is the parents. And so that's not just let's filter and make sure we have the right parents. That's also how can I help the parents? How can I help them to grow? How can I make sure they're on a trajectory uh, that's a hero's journey for themselves too? Because I don't want their job to be the overlord of this child's life. I want their job to be grow in your own journey and purpose and bring your child along with you. And by the way, we're just another you know, co-traveler on this, right? So we had to think through all of these relationships and set things up accordingly, knowing as time moves on, we'll have to change stuff and that's okay, right? So it's a, it's a, big, it's a big task, all while realizing that as you're launching all of this, you're going against the biggest religion in the country, which is school. That's one of the things that I thought about whenever I was doing the, uh, a little research to get prepared for this interview is okay. So whenever Tucker decided to take on the, the big three automakers at that time, that was audacious. But whenever you take on something that is, I mean, it is a religion. I mean, you look at the teachers unions and the power that they have of the white house and just everyday life. And, and, and the fact that the, the public education system is geared towards, I mean, it's, it exists to train uh, young minds the power and the, and, the, and the power grabs and the fiefdom that exists in that, man, you're going up against a behemoth. One of the things that occurred to me as you were talking, because it, was, it, was, it, it was a great prompt for a question I had for you, is that 
So we live right now in the most resource abundant time that humans have ever experienced. I mean, I, I love telling my daughters or anyone to listen how much better we live than the wealthiest humans in 1850. You know, yeah. I mean, just the middle class American lives better than a king lived, the king of France lived at one point. Oh. Napoleon never knew the the luxuries and the ease of life we have. So we're so resources are there. But what's happening, and I think this is what you're speaking to, is that we seem to be bringing up children that are less resourceful than ever. And I mean, you talk about it. You're like, well, we need to like mental health. That somewhere in mental health needs to be mental toughness, and we need to be able to to battle resistance. Yet what we're doing is we're raising up a generation of young people that are told you should never face any resistance. And if you do, don't worry, there's an administrator, a bureaucrat or a politician that will come along beside you and we will identify, demonize and sterilize whatever that thing is that's making you feel bad about yourself. And it sounds to me like you're trying to combat some of that with what you're doing. Am I I on on that track? We're absolutely combating that. And there's this hidden secret um, crew that is is going to get perturbed by this too, right? So you've got, you talk about the agendas and the unions and all this stuff going on in the schools, right? So what's happening is you've got this middle group. You've got the people that are like, nope, flat out, not happening. We're not engaging. We're going to home educate. We're going to go to an Acton Academy. We're going to go to an Apogee school. We're going to go to a, you know, a Waldorf or Montessori. Like, great. You got that whole, you got that whole group over there you got some people that are like "Eh." head in sand buried it um i went to school i turned out fine quote unquote i'm sure to be the same for my kids i'm going to send them there you got this subgroup in the middle and it's and it's actually arguably the largest group there and this is where i i think is is um man it's dangerous and this is this is who i really a lot of times focus on trying to shake up they're going um these agendas are not okay this union is not okay like this is not okay schools need to change it is not okay to mask my child it's not okay to have all like i should be able to have more say into what the curriculum these books are not okay go ahead jimmy get your backpack on grab your lunch go out there anyways so we're there's the message there for those young heroes is what my parents say and and what they do aren't the same, right? That my parents say things they wish they believed maybe, um, but they're still sending me here. So they actually still believe in this religion over here. Um, and that is a dangerous spot because you're setting them up to be adults that go, okay, well, nobody actually really believes what they're saying anyways. Um, and so I just really, ultimately at the end of the day, it looks like not only can I not trust anybody because they're not saying what they think, what they really mean, um, I still need to just go ahead and blindly obey um, you know, authority and man, talk about a recipe for a lack of resilience. So that's why shaking parents up going, Hey, you're a hypocrite. Um, and I love you and I support you. And I know it's not easy at all. I get it, but also you're being hypocritical and your kids know it too. Like that's a group to shake up. Um, but everything we're doing on our side, you know, again, I can point the finger all day long. There's a rule in our house says no complaining, fix it. I can point the finger. I can show the problems. My responsibility is to provide solutions, period, end of story. If it's worth me talking about, then it's worth me doing something about. And so that's what we're doing is, is building, first and foremost in my house, building three resilient young people 
Second, what can I build? What infrastructure can I build point people to the better alternative? So yeah, that's what we're doing through the mentorship programs and our schools. One of the things I want to ask you about that I love, I think I know the answer to the question, but being the, the good host, I got to ask the question for the other, for the rest of the audience. Why do you refer to the kids as heroes? Where does that come from? Um, comes back to, uh, Joseph Campbell's, you know, the heroes, the hero's oh, yeah. journey. Um, and that's a, that's a big part of it, right. Is the hero's journey. And, and that was something ingrained as I, you know, used to be affiliated with Acton Academies. I've opened a number of Acton Academies. I'm a huge fan, huge supporter. Um, so many people in that network are, are still dear friends and people that I uh, speak with on a daily basis. So, um, that's a big part of where it came from, but for me, it's a, it's a, there's a secondary, um, which actually may be the primary motivator, you know, I, I'm very big on story. Um, what are the stories we look to? Um, humans have always spoken through stories. We've always learned through stories. Uh, we've found inspiration in stories. Um, and I think it's more important than we often give credence to. And set my friend, Seth Godin was somebody who pointed me into that direction, just kind of reminded me of that years ago. And I'm like, man, that's absolutely it. And, you know, I think, and to, to not, I don't want to, I don't glorify the past and I don't want to sound like the old guy, but there, I think objectively there were more stories that we told in a positive light. There were more hero stories generations ago. And I'm not even just saying when I grew up, I'm just saying generations ago, I think we pointed more to the people that had character, pointed more to the, the heroes that were saving the day, that were doing the right things in the face of in the face of obstacles that were making the right decisions, even when the right decisions were the hardest possible decisions to make. I think songs where we sung about heroes more, or, you know, we sing about even listening to some old like eighties R and B songs. It's like, you know, talking about how much they love the women versus now it's like treating a woman like object, right? Like, I think we just had this shift that's taken place over time. Um, and I think we have now put more, vanity metrics on a pedestal we put more victim mentality on a pedestal we put more like i'm being even this i know this is not a popular opinion freaking at all but it um hopefully people hear for what i actually say um that popular song right now the the rich men north of richmond or whatever whatever that guy's name he's a phenomenal artist and he oh, seemed yeah. like right he seems like an amazing freaking guy yeah. from everything that i've seen i haven't seen a ton but he seems like a really genuine guy. Like I look at him, I'm like, I feel like we would probably get along and probably have a lot of things that we agree on. But even the words of those songs are that song. Is he pointing out some, some real issues? Yep. But also there is an element in that song of just like, and there's nothing I can do about it. And I just don't subscribe to it, man. Um, I just don't. I think that's another element of like, look, man, things suck. And that just is kind of the way it is. And I, I just can't put that kind of mentality on a pedestal. Your cards were dealt however they were dealt, good, bad, otherwise. Okay, now what? Like your moral obligation, if you are going to be an educated human being, your moral obligation is to grow. It is to get better in all the ways that you feel are important to get better. And that happens until you're six feet under. And that's what a hero does. So that's part of why I talk about heroes so much. I want that hero mentality uh, to be made attractive again. Brother, bring it. <laughs> I love it. I mean, look, the motto of my show is improve always and always for that very reason. And it's one of the things that I, I just did a, um, a solo episode 
here recently talking about how you know Joe neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump can legislate your happiness, and they can't. And, and it's really bizarre to see how we've come to this place where politics and depending on people who don't care about you, don't know you, will never know you, will never give two bleeps about you. Yet that's who we're going to put all of our hope and our and our faith in. It's just it's so beyond my understanding. And then it goes back to to what we were just talking about. We've got the most victim minded individuals at a time when we have the most abundant resources we have ever had. And it's like, okay, if you can't make it today, especially in the United States of America, if you can't make it here now in 2023, then what the hell do you think your grandparents did? What what do you think your 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 great grandparents how could you imagine for five seconds? But then again, that would be that would be asking the modern, especially young person, to take their eyes off their own navel for five seconds and look mm-hmm. to their ancestry. Which that's something that I think this this is one of the most narcissistic societies I've ever seen in my life, and we know what happens. Um, one of the things that I want to shift to now because I see a crisis. And by the way, I asked you that on purpose because. The hero's journey, I do think we're all in a journey. And we have the opportunity. And that's, I think what you're teaching is that this hero's journey we're on, let's, the, this action hero story that is our life, we get to hold the pen. We're in the director's chair. We're, granted, there's going to, the, 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 the evil individuals or forces, they're going to show up as, as part of the plot at some point. Yeah. But, be, but we can, we have the opportunity to write in the script how we're going to prepare to to deal with that and one of the things i know you're doing with i believe it's one of your boys is taking jujitsu so you're preparing a warrior not to go out there and start you know kicking people's tails via his jujitsu skills but you're making a warrior out of this young man talk about how important it is to start raising young men that are warriors if need be in the right circumstances the way john wayne was the way you know, John McClain once was talk a little bit about that. Well, if we, you know, the Frederick Douglass quote of it's easier to, to raise strong boys and fix broken men. Amen. I have always subscribed to that. And what we're talking about are different levels of sovereignty. Um, really. So when we're talking about this, you know, this worry ethos and, um, the physical component of this, you know, we're talking about all levels of sovereignty. One of the things we're doing even with our men as we're going through our men's program is we get to uh, take a look at every aspect of our lives and we start to pick it apart. And every month we take a different part of our life and we kind of pick it apart a little bit and we go, hmm, I'm not necessarily as far along as I thought I was or I'd like to be here. Um, that is what is the common theme that kind of comes up. And that's not to shame anybody. It's just to go, oh, okay, cool. Well, there's growth left because we've got this weird and schooling is a part of it. It's not the only thing, but it's a part of it. We've got this weird thing where it's like we check off all these boxes and we're good. Um, we see it a lot in the spiritual side, right? It's like people think, okay, cool, man, I got it. I'm going to keep going and I'm just going to go to church and I'm going to go do this. And it's like, all right, cool, man. Um, but the reality is your knowledge of whatever your spiritual discipline is hasn't changed in five years. You haven't actually grown there. You say all the right things. You talk about all the right cliches, but you're not actually growing. Same thing on the physical side. We got a lot of men that are like, ah, let's see, who do I quote? Let's quote Goggins, Jocko, Pantanes, <laughs> Nick Bear. So, hey, uh, go one more, stay, stay hard, um, keep hammering. 
and discipline equals freedom, man. And everybody's like, yeah, it's like, but dude, your life is no different. Like you're not making <laughs> more money. You're not giving more money. You're not serving at a higher level. You're um, not helping more humans. Your relationship with your wife hasn't changed and it's actually kind of going down. Your physical fitness isn't changing. You're right. So it's, um, and by the way, 2020 happened and, and everybody ran out of toilet paper and, and the food and the, uh, you know, went down and you had no idea what to do and you panicked because you're not actually sovereign because you're relying on somebody else for a paycheck. You're relying on somebody else to entertain you, relying on somebody else for your food sources. You're relying, uh, at some point, obstacles do come. That's a, that's a inevitable. You don't know what those are going to be. Man, shouldn't we be as prepared as possible? The physical fitness part of that, the combat part of it is just a, it's just a piece of that. I hope I never get in another fight or altercation. I really do. I have nothing to prove to anybody. I've done it competitively and I've had it, you know, as a knucklehead young kid. And, and I hope I never have it again, but I'll tell you what, if something happens and I've got to protect my family, gosh, it is good to know that you can, um, and not know it because you're armchair quarterbacking it, but knowing it because you've done it, you've practiced it a million times and you're actually proficient at it. I want the same thing for my young man. It's just an, it's just a small component of his own sovereignty. Um, and the men that have that, that don't have to have to prove anything to anybody are usually the most humble people. They're usually the most kind because they're not itching to, to prove something. Right. And so, um, our efficacy as a leader grows, the more capable we become and the more capable we become in a, in a dichotomy. What I mean by that is, um, you know, we talk about it in our, in our circle as, as being able to be the savage and the gentleman. Yep. Uh, you know, my friend, John Lovell talks about it as the warrior and the poet. My friend Bedros talks about it as the savage and the servant, whatever it is, it's this dichotomy. The more you're able to lean into the savage side. And the more you're able, and I'm talking like actually able, not think I'm able. I know I'm able. I've got a stack of irrefutable proof. I can lean into the, the, the gentleman's side. The bigger I can make the gap in between there, because I'm able to go so far this way if I need to, and so far this way if I need to, the more efficiently I can operate in life and the more impact I can have in a positive fashion, fashion moving forward. I think when those two things, I'm not good at either side, we have very limited impact. Uh, so I think the bigger we can make that dichotomy, the more we can help others. I think that is so spot on. One of the things, and I, I, as a Christian, you know, for it's weird. It took me a long time before I really came to grips with the whole turn the other cheek idea. I just, you know, I was like, yeah, I mean, I knew it, Philosophically, mm -hmm. I knew it and I knew uh, what I was being taught, but it wasn't until I became an adult and I realized that turning the other cheek is is knowing you could, could destroy the other human being. You, you could slay them and choosing not to. And I think that's the problem these days is we're not raising up enough young men to give them the tools of a warrior. So then once they have the tools, then we can teach them how to properly steward them. And in being well, able to steward those tools and resources they have within them, that's what really makes them, that's what gives them their power. And in my worldview, that's what, that's how you become Christ-like, to be able to be taking punishment, but you know you're taking it for such an enormous cause, in the case of Christ, for the, for the you know, saving of, the, of mankind, to be able to say, forgive them. I could well, call, I could call on all of heaven right now, 
But in this moment, as the warrior who has to fight this battle on behalf of the mission I'm on, then I will turn the other cheek in this moment. And I don't think that we're raising up enough men these days to understand that if you can have the tools of a warrior, then all of a sudden you have to learn to steward them. And, and your education, that, that, your, that your curriculum, how are you starting to, I, I would imagine you take some of the principles of breaking down to then rebuild. What does that look like tactically? How do you start? And, I, and take it wherever you want to, Matt, either when you, with one of your, your, your men that are going through one of your programs or the child. How do you start to instill that, I guess the best way to describe it is that purposeful warrior, that, 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 that warrior that is able to steward that, that, that warrior-like mentality properly. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I want to make sure I juxtapose part of what you just said for a lot of something that a lot of people battle. They'll use the turn the, you know, turn the cheek. They'll use that as justification to just continue to be weak, not even worry about being capable or, or exactly. I am capable, but I'll still. Okay. So I, I always ask them like, okay, what about Dode? Right. Well, who is David is, who is what we call him. His Hebrew name was Dode. It was a, God said, this is a man after my own heart. God also had him slaying a giant as a young kid and going forward and chopping his head off. Yep. He was a warrior in every sense of the word. And God says he is my Gabor El, like my warrior of God. He is a man after my own heart. How do you, how do you, that again, the, the savage and the gentleman, mm -hmm. right? Got that dichotomy there. So people want to lean into one area and not lean into the other. Um, and so I like to get people to think about that and be uncomfortable um, in those thoughts because that's what we're supposed to do, right? Yisrael means to go to war with, to contend with, to wrestle with God, to contend with, meaning ask questions, meaning jump in and go, man, I don't understand. And the vast majority of people at church will never actually do it. They like to Agreed. say that, but right, they just go. Um, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll point something out to them and they'll be like, um, Jesus. And everybody just goes, yeah. And I'm like, we didn't have <laughs> at all. Um, so, you know, I, I appreciate that, uh, the way, the way to segue into that question. So, um, that said, there is an element of, look, we've got to break down to, to move forward. Now there's less of an element. I think there's a couple of different things that I want to, um, point out on this one that is easier to do maybe theoretically in a physical environment. So like our live events, so we can do a physical kind of a breakdown to build back up and that can be effective. But in my experience, that's also effective only in a short term. Um, you know, guys can come out of those experiences and definitely be changed, definitely be a better man for it, for sure. But also they need some other long-term um, self-accountability. All accountability is self-accountability. So they need some long-term structure that's in there. I also like to frame it with, the fact that I believe we are born inherently curious. I think we're born inherently resilient. I think we're born inherently brave. I think a lot of these traits um, actually get trained out of us more than anything else. So since I take that perspective, part of what we're doing with the young men is we're trying to preserve what I call factory settings as much as possible. Um, we're trying to get back down to that factory setting model as quickly as we can. And there's not as many layers of BS to, to sort through for the men. We're trying to get back to factory settings. And so there needs to be a little bit more of an element of breaking things down. Um, and so all of that starts and ends right here in the mind. And so that's where we start for both of these, like the mentorship program side of it. 
Uh, we start by breaking down the physical or the, the mental constructs that we've got. So for young men, um, that first month that we deal with them, we want them read the recommended book. We have them read is do hard things. We want them to understand, Hey, the word teenager wasn't even invented until 1944. Society has told you, you are a boy and that you're going to be a boy for a long time. We don't buy that BS. You're a man right now, which means you need to take on man level responsibilities. Um, we're also going to shift your language because words matter. So we're going to start, you're going to start by saying, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. Um, and you're going to take a look and you're going to watch and see how people treat you. See what happens. See how people get uncomfortable. You're going to open doors for people. Let's see how people get uncomfortable. You're going to start leading the family meetings in your home because, Hey, you're a young man. You're old. You know, you're able to do that. So we throw them kind of into that mix right away. Oh, and here's some workouts too. If you're not like, I want to know what you're doing for physical fitness. If you're not, you know, attending a CrossFit gym and going to jujitsu and kickboxing and whatever, great. We've got workouts for you that have been put together by freaking Tim Kennedy and, and, you know, a couple other Navy SEALs and a couple, like, I mean, just some freaking bad men. So that's what you're going to tackle. So you make a pick, but that's what you're going to do. Cause we want to shift immediately uh, their psychology and, and kind of that operating system. We want to shake it to its core. That's the same for the men as they come in, but we do a deeper dive even into the stories they're telling themselves about the stories they're telling themselves. We, they go through and they burn, um, you know, they write this breakup letter to themselves. They list all the things that they wish they were, you know, doing differently and they're burning it and they're reading these, these lists and these letters to their wives, to their kids. Um, they're stepping into this extraordinarily uncomfortable situation from a mental standpoint going, here's where I failed and here's where I need to change. They're building out their ideal, what Plato calls the forms, but it's their ideal. What's the ideal version of me as a husband, as a father, as you know, they're, it's literally a mental breakdown so that they can rebuild and step into the newest version of themselves. Um, that's mud one. I love that. And it's so, it's so cool, man. I knew this was going to be an awesome conversation. And the good news is you're confirmed. You're, you're making me feel like, all right, I, I feel like I'm on the right track. But I mean, I just, uh, yesterday I released an episode and it was, uh, identity-based habits. If you're going, if you've got it, but you got to determine what the ideal you is. And I think so few of us, we yep. just kind of live in the matrix and let the matrix decide who, how we're going to be formed. And we don't even take into account this ideal self. It goes back to, we don't even realize that we have our own hero's journey. There's this arc that we're in and we, we can take the, we can take the pen. We can sit in the director's chair. We can be the producer. And that's one of the things that I'm so excited about. So to hear you say that just, it confirms in me that, all right, because that's what I want for men. And that's what mm -hmm. I want this show to be like with, with, you know, anything I do. And I have the Vitruvian lab, which is my training, which I totally would love to pick your big brain on that. Cause God knows I could, uh, I could use some help there. But one of the things that you said in that conversation that I think is just so amazing factory settings, mm -hmm. another way to say it what we were freaking designed to be, who we Finger. were designed, how we were created. And I think what happens like a computer that's out there all over the, the, the interwebs, picking up viruses and crap. Yep. We, we, we take our factory setting self and we step into the matrix and we pick up a bunch of viruses and a bunch of garbage and a bunch of crap. And it sounds like to me, what you're doing is you're pulling these men and young men out of the matrix and saying here, let me, let's reset you to where you are. And let's now let's walk through. So that's kind of the breakdown, the buildup and some of the just 
here's where we're going to understand who you are as a man and where we want to help you build towards your own hero's journey. Now let's just talk about, uh, and man, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, Matt. Is it a, a, a poji, a apogee? Apogee. Yep. Apogee. Okay. Which is, the, I, I, and so again, knowing the meaning of the word, even if I can't pronounce it in my, my beautiful East Texas vernacular, <laughs> you know, uh, that's obviously, you know, the motto of my show, I, whenever I started researching what you're into and on and what your mission is for that, I was like, oh, I got to have him just kind of download this and let men know how they can be a part of this. So kind of talk about the genesis of it and what, what goes on through the entire, how long it is, how, what's the course, just give this audience an understanding of what's going on. Yeah. So the, the genesis of it, man, we, um, you know, I'd, was running a number of these, these schools, these acting academies in California was launching multiple and, um, heard my friend, Tim Kennedy, uh, on a podcast. And a lot of the listeners will probably know who Tim is. If not, mm -hmm. look him up. it's, oh, yeah. uh, Captain America, but in real life, exactly. Um, <laughs> right? But more importantly, man, he's a really, really good husband. He's a really, really good father. He's a really, really good friend. He's just a really, really good. Human. Um, he, uh, it said on a podcast, you know, that ultimately he wanted to start a school. And so I said, Hey man. Um, I know how to do that. I actually know how to do that pretty well. Um, glad to help you. Flew out to Texas. Uh, we got a workout in, which is code for Tim beat me up for a while. <laughs> and, um, we sat down and we started hashing out, getting his school up and running. And in the process of that too, we started talking about, you know, Hey man, he's got a bunch of really good men in his network. I've got a bunch of really good men in my network. Um, let's do something that's just even extra above and beyond for, for young men. That's where it all started. It was like, what, what if we get young men that are kind of in that really, you know, critical age of kind of that 12 to 18 ish range. And we just gave them a, a roadmap to tackle, um, that was going to provide all these things we were talking about, self-confidence and self-resilience and, um, self-awareness and, you know, all of these, all of these things, but we also put them in front of some of the best men on the planet. Um, we gave them projects and challenges to, to build up the brand of them as well. So it's not only all this internal, but they actually had some external proof of the leadership journey they've been on, right? They have proof, um, that they are who they say they are and they can show it to somebody else and open up other doors. And, uh, oh, and by the way, you're just connecting every week with one of the, literally one of the best men on the planet, not a bad deal. So, um, so we put that together. That's what it started as. So we're still both running, you know, other businesses, multiple businesses. We start running, running this, um, wildly successful, um, completely different reasons and, and all this, but I had the opportunity to give my Acton academies to my employees. And I left California about a year and a half ago, uh, moved out to a farm in the mountains of North Carolina. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, let's, let's keep building on this Apogee thing. So one of the things we'd gotten from day one was a bunch of dads who were like, oh, I wish I had had this when I was a kid. I kind of wish I had it now. Cool. Let's go. Let's get the men. Let's get the men program going. So same thing on that side, 12 months, every month with a specific um, group of projects and challenges that you're taking on that's meant to highlight something in particular. It's got some very specific recommended readings, workouts, all that kind of stuff is in there. And then you're meeting every single week with one of the best men on the planet who is a ninja in a specific area. And you're in a private platform um, with all the other participants who are all going through these projects and challenges together. And so you're building out um, relationships 
as you move yourself forward and all these things. And it was very, very quickly, you know, early on when the young men's side where we're getting young men who are now getting, you know, six figure job offers at friggin' 17, we were getting young men who we have a blanket scholarship offer, uh, acceptance and scholarship to a university with, uh, because the university president came on and was like, um, I will take any of these young men. It doesn't matter if you sign off on them, blanket acceptance and a scholarship off the top. Like we want this kind of quality young man. Um, at our university, right? So we've got all of these things are happening on that side. On the men's side, I got all these wives reaching out like, hey, this has only been a month long right now and already things are changing. Hey, um, what's right? So it's, it was a no brainer. So then we just started thinking bigger um, at that point too. So we talk about Apogee as an organization, um, as the, the, the mission being reseeding. So again, getting back to those factory settings, reseeding a free and sovereign society through disrupting education for the entire family. So you got the hand of freedom over here that, you know, you want to grasp freedom and sovereignty. You know, all the young men was kind of that first finger, you know, working on the young men in particular, going to the men in particular was the next, was the next finger. Uh, our women's program launches October 1st. So we've got our women's program launching here. We will get our young women's program coming after that when we have some leaders that we develop here out of the women's program. So we'll have our young women's and then we have our educational component. We got about 250 families right now that we're bringing through home education, what it looks like to do that, to do that well, not bringing school home to actually home educate. Um, and then we are partnering with people from around the world to launch K through 12 campuses, Apogee campuses, uh, in their local community. So that's 2024. We plan on launching hundred to 150 K through 12 campuses. Well, so, you know, no, no, nothing bold and audacious about those, those goals, my man. Apparently it's the way we roll, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love it. I think it's so cool. All right. So I got, I want to ask you just a personal question now, because, uh, and one of the things I think is funny. So, so this is how I, I, I pick up on little things. I know you got the chess pieces behind you and I got to believe those are indicative of the fact that we're playing chess. We're not playing checkers anymore. Uh, you know, you, you, you play, you play checkers, you get slaughtered, right? You bet. Right. Yeah. You got, uh, right. So you got, you got the chess pieces over here. You got the man in the arena. Yes. Teddy Roosevelt. We got the, uh, we got the sword back here. Yeah. We go about, we got this little guy over here who is uh, a bobblehead of somebody it's Morpheus. We've talked about the matrix. Absolutely. And so a lot of the guys have to, and I, one of the guys early on in our men's program said, Hey, this is who you remind me of. Um, and I can't say I took it as a compliment for sure. Uh, Heck yeah. Warm, but he's like, yeah, he's like, you're a mix of Morpheus and Tyler Durden and Mr. Rogers. And I'm like, cool, man, I'll take it. Dude, I'll that's a it. sweet mix. That's, that's a sweet mix. mix. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. And this is why, the reason why I bring it up because you flip behind me, so you can't see it, but behind me is a, a bust of Churchill and there's also a lot of books. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I, I don't think this is going to be falling on deaf ears that, you know, we, we, we don't read enough anymore to, to learn oh. from those that went before us. Your, your buddy, Seth Godin, once made one of the greatest comments I've ever heard on the Tim Ferriss show. Tim asked him what his favorite technology was. He said, that's easy. It's books. He said mm -hmm. for sometimes less than five bucks, you can literally take an entire mm -hmm. genius's life work and consume it and, and learn the mistakes, the things that worked. For less than five bucks, he said, there's nothing, there's no greater technology than a book. Mm -hmm. So if I were to ask you, Matt, so, all right, I, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm in, I want to feed my mind. I know it's pushups for my brain. 
I need, I don't care if it's one, three, five. I don't want to set parameters. What books should I put on this shelf behind me if I don't already have them? Holy moly. That, that in and of itself is one of the hardest questions for me. Um, as somebody who is a voracious reader, um, and it's, I get it. the, you know what I mean? It's, it's really hard. So what I always, I, uh, we have a, a whole list of recommended books that we go through with all of our programs. Um, we have a whole another like honor list and then we'll put in, you know, we'll continuously add to those over and over and over again. So what I always go through when I answer a question like this is like, here's a, here are books that have impacted me at a high level enough to where I go back and I'll revisit them. Um, because there are so many and it changes what you need changes in the season when you need it a lot of times too. Right. So people ask me a lot of times, Hey, what's the best, you know, what's your favorite book on, uh, parenting for, you know, for, for my husband, I want to get him a book on parenting. Like, well, I don't have a book that's specifically around parenting that I necessarily love, but the reality is part of him becoming a good parent is him optimizing himself as many ways as he can. Um, so what does he need the most? Like, what is, where does he need to grow the most? Because if he grows more in a physical sense, if he grows more in a spiritual sense, um, if he grows, he's going to be a better father. So um, it's a really, really hard question for a number of things, but I've got, a, I've got a handful that I'll throw out there, um, that I just, that, that changed my life. Um, atomic habits is a huge, uh, that's one that I put in all of our programs. Uh, have you worked with, I know you've done a lot of work at Stanford. Have you worked with BJ Fogg, which so much of James Clear's work came from BJ's work? I was just curious. I have worked with BJ. No, I didn't even come across BJ actually while I was there. I came across so many. Um, amazing people that a lot of people would know. And I mean, from Huberman to Dweck to, um, shoot, even Harbaugh when he was there coaching, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I got to see, I mean, work with so many of them, um, in a number of different ways, but, um, no, I didn't get to go. I didn't get to do anything with BJ. Just curious. And, 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 and by the way, totally J James Clear's atomic habits, genius. I mean, I, and I love the fact he's like me, he's a lay person that just blew away a lot of behavioral scientists with <laughs> a very easy take their principles and here, here's what everybody could do to, so great, great no, recommendation. Practical, easy to implement. Um, so that's, that's a huge one. Um, one that was impactful for me, partially because of when, like, I guess just where I was at the time of the journey again, which I think that's the beauty of books. It's there are certain things that are going to impact you more because of what, you know, life stage you're in, mm -hmm. in particular, but, um, and there was a great movie about it, but it was called pursuit of happiness, right? Will yeah. Smith. Chris Gardner and that book um, was phenomenal for me. And it came across at a time that I didn't even have kids, but it was one of the things that made me a better father. Even before I had kids was reading that book, believe it or not. Um, I mentioned Tyler Durden earlier, Fight Club, if I'm honest, changed my life. Um, that changed my perspective. The book before the movie, the book um, changed my life, changed my perspective on a lot of ways on, on how much I care, not in a flippant way, not in an audacious way, not in any way that I want to say lacks, you know, the necessary humility, but in a way of understanding like the, the amount of, um, the amount of emotional energy that we would give to other people's perception of us, even when it's not the reality, um, is, was a little astounding. And I had to go to war with my own ideas on that. And so that book really put me to war with my own ideas um, in a lot of good ways. Um, Mo Gadot's Solve for Happy, another one that I think is wildly simple, 
but wildly brilliant. And it does it from a father's perspective. It's a father who has lost his son. Um, you know, and this is based on his, his, this is his experience. Um, and so a wildly profound book, um, the alchemist, uh, does a great, right. I love that book. Um, I learned just as much equal. I learned equally from fiction and nonfiction. Um, but I think there's so many life truths in the alchemist, you know, Paulo Coelho, yeah. uh, Alter Ego Effect by Todd Herman, I think is wildly powerful. Not enough people have read that and, and you know, dive into that. And people have heard of, obviously people have heard of Kobe Bryant um, and, you know, the whole Mamba mentality. And so Todd was the guy responsible for helping him psychologically develop that Mamba personality and stepping mm -hmm. into that. There's so many applicable things um, that are there. Um, gosh, man. Truth About Taxes. <laughs> or my friend Sean Briscoe wrote a great book, Truths About Taxes. Um, that has shifted my entire understanding and shifted so many things for our families. You know, this is uh, there's two tax systems in this country. Most people don't even realize that's a thing. Um, never mind the fact that nobody utilizes this other system. Most people don't even realize there's another system to use. Um, so I, I mean, quite literally, we could probably do this for for hours. Um, those yeah. are the first that are coming to mind. I'm sure they'll be. I'm sure I'll jump off later and be like. Oh my gosh, of course, this one changed my life and I just didn't say it, but there's so. I get it, man, but that's, that's, that's what I, I want. I'm hoping that the listeners heard some books that they've never heard before. And also the fact that you see, it took me a while to come around to the fact that fiction could be, you could glean a lot of wisdom from, uh, Heroes. from fiction. What's that? Hero, Hero stories. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And yeah. so you mentioned fight club. I had my youngest, my youngest daughter who, by the way, I got to brag on her. So you've mentioned in one of your talks before that one of the things that employers are facing right now is it's, um, it's just so hard to hire these young people to no. like, whenever I was growing up, I, I, I hit the workforce just, I, I'll never forget when I got offered my first quote unquote real job. Now I worked from the time I was 13 through, you know, put myself through undergrad and, and graduate school for that matter. But, you know, I remember when I got my first quote unquote real corporate job. I was almost in tears and was so thankful I had a job. Now it's almost like these kids are coming out saying, you should be thankful that I've decided to, to show up here. And by, by gosh, you better, and here are my list of rules for working for you as opposed to the other way around. But yeah. my youngest, who I actually recommended Fight Club to, nice. of course, of course, then that put her into a whole Chuck Paul and I can always butcher his last name. Uh, she started reading all of his stuff, which, you know, Fight Club's the best. Then there's some. There's some crazy stuff, man. Jugs and that. Oh, it's it, he, his turn of phrase. And and if you've and as a writer, have you read his uh, book? Consider this. No, sir. Dude, you would love it. You would love yeah. it. It's where he. It's kind of like uh, Stephen King's book on writing or yeah. um, Movable Feast that Hemingway did. Uh, it, it's it's his how to write, and it's so cool with giving little tips and tricks um, on how to write story. But anyway, you know, I love I, fight club was probably one of those first books for me that I read and was like, this is basically just kind of an analog version of the matrix. I mean, it's literally showing how we get sucked into the matrix and then we bow to the matrix by, you know, our Ikea furniture and, you know, kind of like the going back to American psycho, the Patrick Bateman, just over the top listing Brett Easton Ellis, when he lists every single thing that the character's wearing, you know, I just, I would laugh every time Patrick Bateman would describe his outfit when I was reading American psycho. 
But these books, they're basically just satire or in The Matrix, a, a, a dramatic account of this plastic world that we've all just fallen into. And so, and I know that's always a hard question whenever you're a, whenever you're a serious reader too, because it's like saying, I don't know, what's your favorite meal? Well, it depends on the day and where I am. Yeah, it's totally. tough. No, I love the, I, but you're right, man. Those two, those, those, you know, that book and the matrix in particular, and there's, there's this, uh, there's a popular saying and everybody's heard it, you know, the, the greatest trick that devil ever pulled is convincing the world he doesn't exist. And yeah. I, I actually don't agree with that statement. I think it's actually more insidious than that. I think the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world to bow down to him, whether they believe in him or not. Ooh, and yeah. that I think is even more insidious because you've got people that are like, yes, the enemy. And then I look at their actions and again, I'm like, Ooh, and you're playing right along because he's not the boogeyman. He's not the, Ooh, I mean, cause that would be obvious. He's yep. the snake in the garden. That's like, yeah, here's all the right answers. And yep. also this one that's just going to move you one degree off right there. Mm -hmm. And then over a long enough time, two planes take off at the same place and they're one degree difference, long enough time, they end up in a very different location. That's but right. you're saying and thinking you're saying all the right things. Yep. Like, that's dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. And that, so that brings up another good book that we could talk about, Screw Tape Letters. If you want to know, if you want to see C.S. Lewis's handbook for how Satan deceives us, go ahead and just pick up and read about some old Uncle Screw Tape. And I tell you what, I mean, Napoleon Hill, obviously people, you know, think and grow rich, phenomenal, yep. and not just about wealth building, right? It's just a phenomenal book on life in general. But Napoleon Hill's best work, in my opinion, is Outwitting the Devil. Um, yeah phenomenal book by far in my opinion by far his best work um and i even lean towards that um as brilliant as screw tape is man sometimes i find myself going ah, i like outwitting the devil better i don't either either one must both must read all right so now i'm going to take it to another level because you know and like i told you before we got on i was still sweating like a pig because my, my heart rate was still up and so i was afraid i was going to get on here and be all like all pasty faced and shiny before because i had just i'm going through right now um the eight will eight weeks to seal fit mark divine's program just for the fun of it you know i mean i just i want to do that uh, what's that mark's a stud oh dude I, he's like a he's like a seal monk he's like if you yeah. take a take a seal and a monk and you put them in a blender out out comes mark divine uh just as and so i'm and I, i'm doing that and then i've got ben greenfield's uh, i do the ladder program but uh, I just, ben, dear friend of mine, great Ben guy. is, oh yeah, dear, dear friend, man. Great guy. Both of his boys are actually in the Apogee strong young men. Really? Okay. So he and I have a lot of mutual friends and he and I've connected in a, a number of times. I would love to, to hang out with Ben and do some iron sharpening iron at some point. I think that day will come. He, I just, I love his warrior spirit. And you know, those are the, some of the things that I'm doing physically. I, so I, I literally hit it twice a day and people mm -hmm. think that it's for vain. I remember I had somebody here recently that I, I was talking about, you know, being healthy or whatever, staying fit. And they're like, oh, are you going to the gym? And I'm like, I want to punch you in the throat right now. No, I'm not just going to the gym. That's so stupid and tried. This isn't vanity. This is about something much more spiritual or whatever. And you get it. But that's some of the stuff that I'm doing right now. But I want to know what you're doing kind of like physically to keep yourself sharp and, and kind of, and take me through your daily routine, man. What is your, your, your warrior morning, whatever you want to call it. What does kind of the day look like for you? Because you're juggling yeah. a lot of stuff. 
Oh, there's a lot, man. There's always a lot. And my physical, you know, the physical part of that has evolved for a long time. I was an athlete growing up. And so, um, that's definitely evolved. Definitely went through my bodybuilding phase in my twenties and then went through like, you know, CrossFit phase and was just, everything was CrossFit or die on, on the physical fitness side. Um, but I grew up as a martial artist too. And so, um, there was a lot of, you know, I was a competitive martial artist. And, and then even as I stopped competing, I was helping guys, a lot of UFC guys with fight camps and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely been this evolution. Um, and part of that has been, you know, being extraordinarily stupid in what I've done too, and, and hurt myself in a number, a number of ways. Um, but now even as I'm older, I mean, that is a huge component. It's a huge part. Um, I still have a lot of friends in that industry. So Jason Kalipa, uh, was a CrossFit games champion is a mm-hmm. is dear friend of mine. Stud, too. stud. <laughs> stud, man. He does a lot of, like, he's helped with a lot of my programming of, um, what I'll do from a, a, a you know, weights and, and mobility standpoint. Um, I'll rely a lot on Jason for, for a lot of that. And he's helping us on the, um, on the Apogee school side as well, um, with the physical fitness part. And then as we moved out here to North Carolina, American top team has a great gym, actually not too far from where we are. And so that's where my boy and I both go. So, um, you know, martial arts will always and forever be a part of my life. So I got the, the strength and conditioning component from a tactical sense from, from Jason. And then, um, well, you know, I continue the martial arts journey, um, through American top team with kickboxing and jujitsu that way. So, um, that's, you know, that's the big part of the physical training. I'm always quick to point out too, um, health is a part of, you know, we talk about health and fitness, but people tend to just go, okay, cool. So what do you look like, you know, with your shirt off? Like, I like that. Cool, man. Yeah. I'm 43 and yep. I still have a sick back. Yep. You bet. Like I'm still, you know, under 10% body fat. Yep. Great. Hey, how about this? I haven't even gotten as much of a, as like a cold in the past decade. Same. Yeah. Right. That's more important. That's, to me. that's, that's where it matters. Exactly. That's where it's important. Like I don't get sick. Um, and that's including being one of American airlines, top 1% of flyers. I mean, I was all over the world for years on end and I didn't get sick. Um, and so that to me is again, more important. The mental clarity that I have is more important. The, the way that I can, you know, at least think through problems enough to, to be able to, um, you know, find solutions and at least potential solutions or part-time solutions and, and be able to articulate myself when I'm, you know, speaking to anybody and everybody, like those are the things that matter and that I still have enough energy um, to, to pour in and be the husband and, and the father that I need to. So, um, so that's it. That's on the, that's on the physical fitness side. So my day, I, you know, I don't have a special morning routine other than I've got coffee prepared to, uh, to go, uh, the coffee pot turns on and the coffee is ready right at the time that I wake up. So I wake up, I go immediately to that. And it's not because like that, this is just my routine. I go there, I pour like down a bunch of water, um, pour the coffee and I go straight into my office because I'm the only one up at that time. Um, and I got this from Craig, my friend Craig Ballantyne. And, and so I go straight to the most important task of the day, whatever the most important work task is. I go straight to it. Um, I will get more work done before noon my time than most people will do in two days. Um, I just go straight to the tasks at hand. Uh, afternoons are when I'll reserve things for the workouts and then I'll take on things that are less focus uh, that require less focus. So in the afternoons is where I'll schedule the majority of my one-on-one coaching calls or the podcasts that I'll do. I'll I'll try to do four to five podcasts a week as a guest. Um, I'll host my, you know, the mentorship calls. Uh, Those things are majority in the afternoon. Every day is a little different depending on the, um, the mentor calls and things like that, that we have. But, um, from an overall standpoint, that's really it. And then the early evenings and evenings 
are where, you know, I'll go to pick my daughter up from my oldest is 12. I'll go pick her up from work or go watch her at her horse lessons. Um, you know, the 10 year old will go take her to gymnastics. She has competitive gymnastics in the evening. So we'll go there tonight. I'll go to gymnastics and I'll go to kickboxing for my son. Um, we'll do all that stuff at night. And then, uh, the end of the night, that last hour or so is I want to make sure, you know, I see my wife all throughout the day, but we want to make sure we have time where it's just her and I connecting. Um, and that's really it seven days a week. Um, I don't change. There's no weekends. We stay up to this hour, same bedtime, same uptime all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things too, that there's a, there's a magical superpower to that. Once you just decide this is my routine. You you mentioned something there too. Um, it's one of the reasons, as far as just want to be clear headed, a better decision maker, and going back to the identity based habits is that's why I personally put down alcohol completely. Is mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong. I always tell people there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine, whatever you want. I mean, it's not a scruples thing. But for me, just whenever I wanted to assume this identity of just trying to completely optimize my mind, my body. And everything to to the to the highest degree possible, kind of like that John Wooden coaching style of coaching myself to play to the as close to my full potential mm-hmm. as possible. It just didn't fit into that, and mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the things that it's so cool to have conversations like this because a lot of people they see the things that we do and they do they're they're just they're again I hate to keep harkening back to the Matrix, but their mind is the only reason why you would do any of that is to be an Instagram celebrity to look good at the beach, just all, they don't even understand that. No, it's going back to the factory reset. It's getting yeah. back to operating the way we were supposed to operate into in at the best at, at the highest level. And if you're mm-hmm. going to do that, it requires work and everything, but I guarantee you it, it, I could ask you this. I know the answer. It feels good, right? I mean, you feel better, even though we do all this crap, it feels better. And it, that's objectively true. Like it feels better. I don't even do, you know, quote unquote, cheat meals anymore. Right. Just that's when I do, I don't like the way I feel. I don't like the sluggishness. I don't like the lack of mental clarity. I don't like feeling like I'm not in control of my, I don't, I don't like it. So I don't even have what I know to be meals that don't sit well with me. I just don't do it. Um, I don't want any, any chance. And that's, has nothing to do with anybody else's perception of me. It's how I feel so that I can operate to do what I'm here to do. I'm not here to live a mediocre life. I'm not here to, to be a victim. I'm not here to be sad. I'm not here to be depressed. I'm not here to wish my relationships with my wife and kids were better. I could give a rip about Instagram or any other thing. If I never do people, I could Kaiser Soze out of this whole thing right now where people were like, I remember that guy existed. And that's fine. I got my wife and kids. I'm solid, man. I'm all good, right? I'm here to, to do what I want to do with who I want to do it, when I want to do it. And I'm, I want to do that feeling as good as I possibly can, period. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. So being respectful of your time, dude, I could go on again with this iron sharpening iron all day long. And I do hope, Matt, this isn't the last time you come on the show. I, I definitely don't want this to be the last time that we visit, but let people know because your work is important. It's so, it, it is so on point. Where can people find you? Where can they get the most from your resources? And just, and if there's anything that this audience can do to support what you're doing, brother, let's have it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So um, by the time this airs, hopefully we'll have everything we're doing under one umbrella. We have like 
38 URLs right now. Um, so apogeestrong.com will be where everything is, A-P-O-G-E-E strong.com. Um, you can follow on Instagram at Apogee Program. You can find me just at my name, at Matt Bodro, most active probably on Instagram, but I'm on you know most every platform. You can reach out to me directly if you got a question, matt at apogeestrong.com. I'll usually batch emails um, and do those a couple times a week. So it might take a few days, but I'll get back to you on that. Um, those are all great places to go. And if you're like, hey, we love what's going on and you want to support the mission. Um, we've got a lot of things we're putting together for scholarship programs. We have a foundation, a 501c3 foundation that all goes towards scholarships. So um, that's at apogeestrongfoundation.org. Um, and even the payment processing system that we're setting up that'll take the place of Stripe for any organizations that want to switch from Stripe to Apogee payments. The beauty is where Stripe makes their money on that 3% margin, we'll still have that margin but that money goes into the foundation as a scholarship program too. So not only do you know that we're not going to shut you down <laughs> because we believe in freedom and sovereignty, but um, that same money you would be paying to an organization will go towards helping people. So awesome, brother. Well, Matt Bodreau, this has been a blast, dude. Thank you so much awesome. for spending this time with me and my audience, brother. And uh, Godspeed, man. Keep, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, back at you, brother. Appreciate it. Honor's mine. All right. Thanks, man.